0: Well, let me, um, let me just catch you up a little bit on our family before we begin. We are back, of course, from vacation. We had a wonderful couple of weeks in Quebec City and in PEI. And then that thing happens. It always happens with vacation. You get back home. You get back into the rhythms of life. The routines and the memories are all still really fresh and then the bank statements start to arrive. So forgive me, but uh, I'm going to broach that issue. I need to talk to you about that one uncomfortable situation. It's arisen in your life and in mine, I guarantee it. I want to talk to you about that moment you realize you are overdrawn at the bank. <laughs> and there's all kinds of reasons why it happens, right? Maybe the paycheck went in a little bit late. Maybe the landlord cashed your rent check a little bit early. Maybe you were going to make a Deposit and I don't know your great aunt from Moussini called and you got hung up on the phone. You couldn't get to the bank in time. By the time you got there, it was closed. Whatever the reason, the result is the same: insufficient funds. I mean, what an ominous phrase! You have insufficient funds in the gallery of famous phrases. Insufficient funds probably hangs somewhere in a gallery with the other ones like revenue. Revenue Canada has selected your case for audit this year, or, or a root canal is going to be necessary, or maybe the worst of them all. Hey, I think we should just be friends. Oh, there it is. Insufficient funds. I almost, I, I hear the voice with a Transylvanian accent. You know, you have insufficient funds And there. There it is. You're overdrawn. And let's be clear, when you are overdrawn, whose fault is it? It's yours. It's not the bank's fault. They didn't write the check that bounced. It's not the store's fault. They didn't write it either. It's not even the fault of your great great aunt in Moosonee. But maybe if she's got a soft spot for you, she can't help you out. You make all the excuses that you want. But a bounced check always finds its way back into the lap of the person who wrote it. What do you do when you don't have the money to cover it? When you have nothing to deposit but an honest apology and good intentions. I mean, we can we can pray for our windfall, a lottery that comes, or a a wealthy relative who deposits everything that we need in our account. But when we're talking about financial debt, we know that that stuff is probably not likely to happen. But if you're talking about spiritual debt, It already has. And that's what I'd like to spend a little bit of time reflecting with you on this morning. Those of you who are here, those of you who are joining us online, your heavenly father has covered the shortfall in your life. In God's house, you are covered by the magnificent roof of his grace. We have been dealing with this image of the great house of God, using the metaphors of the different rooms as we've gone through and and lingered and savored the words in the Lord's Prayer. We've looked at the foundation of the house, the dependency, the constancy of God, our Father, who is. We've enjoyed the warmth and welcome of our Heavenly Father, who invites us into the living room and says, you are mine, adopted into the house of God. You can call me your Heavenly Father. We sat there, wide-eyed in wonder in the chapel, and said, holy, 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 our God, who is a cut above who we are and what we are. We've enjoyed the provision of God in the kitchen. Give us this day our daily bread. And now we come to the roof. And let's be honest. I mean, the roof is the part of the house that you probably notice the least. Green and I, over the years, have entertained hundreds of people in our homes. I can't remember a time when somebody commented on the roof of our house. Actually, no, just once. Once in, in a previous house, when we were in the dining room and joining a meal with friends and family, and, and to our horror, we watched as the upstairs toilet slowly made it through the dining room ceiling down under the dining room. It's then that we knew we had a problem with the roof. But generally... You don't notice the roof until there is something wrong with it. And we don't compliment the roof. We compliment the gardens, the grass, the decor, but, but not the roof. And and but for those of you who are builders, and I know we have tradespeople, that's it. That's too bad. Cause roof construction is probably the hardest part of, of the house. I've I've done it in an elementary way only twice, on a cottage that we owned and a little shed in our backyard. And it's not easy. You're trying to remember all the angles, rise over run, and what is it my dad said about how that carpenter's square works? It's not easy. And yet, isn't it ironic that most people will notice a $2 lamp hanging outside of our house before they will notice the roof that is absolutely critical to life underneath it. We don't want to make the same mistake In the great house of God. When it came to the roof, God spared no expense. In fact, the roof is the costliest part of the whole mansion. It cost him the life of Jesus. It cost him the life of his own son. And he invites us, as we're making our way through this great house of God, praying the Lord's Prayer, to savor the finished work of Jesus, the great the roof that is over our heads, by speaking those four words that are embedded there in the center of the prayer. Matthew 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts. Will you say that with me? Forgive us our debts. Now say it again, but we're not saying it to each other. We're saying it to the one who needs to hear it. Forgive us our debts. There are times in the Bible when we get tripped up over words and meaning, and we, we do that little dance where we go back to the original language and say, well, maybe the word meant this, but this word is clear. The word debt in Greek means debt. It means you owe something. And to be in debt, to owe somebody somebody something, I mean, it's it's something we realize in our own world on a financial basis, but in the spiritual world, aren't we all in this state of indebtedness to God? I mean, don't we, don't we fall into his debt when we, we pay lip service to the things that he's asked of us, but we don't pay life service to them? He says, you know, I want you to go south. And yet there's this part of us that says, I'm going north. I want to go left. And, and God said, but the right way is this way. Rather than love our neighbor, we're indifferent to our neighbors. And sometimes we, we even think things that, well, we'd be embarrassed to take under the roof of the household of God. Instead of seeking his will, we, we pursue the will that the world says, this is what you ought, to, you ought to set your sights for. We're told to forgive our enemies. But instead, we harbor all of these resentments. We disobey God. We incur debt. And aren't we in God's debt when we disregard him? He makes a universe spectacular, vast, beautiful, and we credit science All science ever has done, and it's done a lot, but it's given us a lens to understand what God has made. But let's give credit where credit is due. God heals the sick, and we applaud medicine, but where did medicine come from? Human ingenuity, the searing intensity of a human mind that is a gift of God. He gives us beauty, and we credit credit Mother Nature or or Mother Earth. He, he, He gives us possessions, and we salute human ingenuity. Wasn't Steve Jobs brilliant? Don't we go into debt when we ignore him? And don't we go into debt when we disrespect God's children? I and mean, what, what if we did to your kids what we sometimes do to God's children? What if I shouted at your child in your presence? What if I called them names or maligned them? What, what if I mistreated them? You wouldn't tolerate it. Why should God tolerate the same when he watches as we treat each other that way? How does God feel when we mistreat one of his children? When we curse at his offspring? When we criticize a coworker? When we, we gossip and, and speak wrongly about others? Aren't we in God's debt when we mistreat our neighbors? And this is the moment where you think, ah, summer services at MCBC. Why did I get up and make my way there? This is a downer of a sermon, but... Aren't you forgiven for these things? I mean, people of faith, don't you want to cry out and say, yeah, but God has forgiven us for these things. You mean every time I do one of these things, I'm writing a check on my heavenly bank account? Yeah, you are, but you're not signing it. I'm suggesting that if Christ has not covered us with his grace, we are all infinitely overdrawn on that account. And when it comes to goodness, when it comes to holiness, we will always, left on our own, have insufficient funds. We could try making a few deposits, and we do. Maybe if I wave at my neighbor in the morning and I compliment my wife on the way out the door. Maybe if I I get a good run of summer Sunday church attendance going, maybe that all gets credited on my account. But here's the problem. You can't relax with it. Romans 4, verse 5. Let's read this together. Romans 4 verse 5, people cannot do any work that will make them right with God. That doesn't mean that you don't do things that bring a sense of delight to God, but the cumulative total of your life cannot put the account of your life in good standing. Are you trying to reconcile your own statement? I mean, forget about ever having peace. If that's the case, you're going to spend the rest of your days huffing and puffing, trying to get to the drive through window before the bank closes. You're just living on this treadmill of legislated performance, always exhausted, never able to achieve. You're trying to justify an account that you cannot justify. Can I remind you of this? Romans eight thirty-three. It is God who justifies. Will you say that with me? It is God who justifies. Now say it again, but say it like it is the bedrock of your life. It is God who justifies. God paid a debt that he did not owe. Why? Because we owed a debt that we could not pay. Mark 2, verse 7. Only God takes away sins. John 1, 29. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world? It's not you. How does it happen? I mean, how does God do this? Does He just look at the account statement of your life and say, and tear it up and throw it away, overlook it? I mean, He could have. He could have burned the statement. He could have ignored all the bounce checks. But would a holy God do that? Could a holy God even do that? Would He still be holy? Besides, really, is that how we want God to run the universe? A blind eye to injustice and brokenness and sin and fallenness? Maybe he just decides not to punish. Again, he could have done that. Could have just crossed your name out of the book and wiped you off the list and said he's going to punish. But would would a loving God do that? I mean, could a loving God even do that? He loves you, the Bible says, with an everlasting love. Nothing separates you from it. So what does he do? Let's read together what he does. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. We'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering the forgiveness of sins. How, you say? In Christ. God put on him the wrong. He who never did anything wrong so that you could be put right with God. Don't miss what happens here. God takes a statement that is flowing with red ink, bad checks, and he writes his name at the top. And then he takes his statement with a million deposits and no withdrawals. And he puts your name at the top of that list. He assumes your debt. You assume his fortune. And that's not all that he did. Um, those of you who remember the days of check writing, and I know that's largely in the past, know that not only does a bounce check incur you that dubious NSF mark in your account history, it also comes with a penalty. So not only do you owe what you didn't pay to begin with, you owe a penalty because you bounced the check and that caused a headache for the bank and for the recipient, there's a penalty to be paid. And here too, God says, I've got you. It's taken care of. If you're overdrawn, the penalty must be paid, and God pays it. Listen to these promises. They're just, they're rich. I just want to allow you a chance to have these wash over you, these promises of Scripture. Galatians 3.13, he changed places with us, and he put himself under that curse. Galatians 3.13. Or how about these words, 1 Peter 3, that's what Christ did, definitely. He suffered because of other sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all. He was put to death and then made alive. Why? In order to bring us to God. Or these beautiful Old Testament words, Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for the wrong that we did. And he was crushed for the evil that we did. And the punishment which made us well was given to him. We are healed because of his wounds. And then just lastly, these these verses from the book of Hebrews. Josie already led us into that beautiful book, Hebrews 10. With one sacrifice, Jesus made perfect Forever those who are being made holy. Nothing else need be said. Nothing else need be done. No more deposits necessary. So complete was the work of Jesus that the very final word that was spoken is a banking word. The last human word uttered by Jesus on the cross, tetelestai, is a banking word. It is finished. A word from the world of commerce, it's accomplished. It's like heaven's endorsement stamp over your life. It's complete. Nothing else need be done. And so if the task really is finished, what more is required of you or of me? If the account is full, what else could we add to it? Even when you repeat those words, forgive us our debts, You're not earning grace or favor. You're celebrating grace that has already been given. You're speaking a promise over your life that God has already honored. And for some of us, these thoughts about bounce checks and and God's grace, they're not new, but, but boy, I hope they are always precious. Honestly, have you ever received a gift in your life that compares to this? it makes the poorest beggar into a prince and it, it makes the the wealthiest citizen of the world seem seem like a pauper by comparison if they miss it the grace of god is the roof over our hearts and our lives and what a grand roof it is thick and and sturdy and and strong and underneath those who, who enjoy God's grace, enjoy a freedom from guilt and trailing away years of remorse and regret. Beneath the covering of Christ, there is no accuser who can touch you or condemn you. And isn't it good to know that we don't have to stand outside in the storm anymore? Is it big enough for you? Question comes up from time to time, comes back in our conversations, It, it comes up as we audit our own lives. Is it big enough for me? Well, you know, if it was big enough for the one who denied Christ most emphatically, for Peter, it's big enough for you. If it was big enough for the one who mocked Christ, the thief on the cross, it's big enough for you. If it was big enough for the one who persecuted Christ, for the mighty apostle Paul, it is big enough for you. And even though you spent a lifetime writing insufficient fund checks, God stamps this one final statement over your life. My grace is sufficient for you. I mean, picture, if you will, a blank check. And, And then on to the amount of the check is simply written the words sufficient grace. And there in the signature field, the name by which we are all saved, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And the only thing to be written is the name of the recipient. Can you imagine the great hand of God moving over your life, scripting your name onto that check? Can I encourage you just to spend a couple of moments, we'll pray together, but just to reflect on what that means for you. To express your thanks, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, let him, let him hear you whisper those words of promise. Forgive us our debts and let him answer your prayer as you witness him write your name, sufficient grace and sign it, Jesus. Let's ponder that and then we'll spend some time together in prayer. Forgive us our debts, Lord. The words are familiar to to many of us. And sometimes they're too familiar. They come racing out of our mouths and we don't even stop to think about, about the size, the weight, the vastness of what we have just asked for and what we have through Jesus already received. Thank you for the grace which is the roof over our lives, for the protection that we find there knowing that your grace is sufficient for all things and sufficient for us. God, we we celebrate the finished work of Jesus. And somehow saying thank you doesn't feel quite enough, but what else can we say? We place ourselves in that position of awe and reverence and gratitude and worship before the sacrifice of Jesus. Forgive us our debts, Lord. Thank you for answering that prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.